Thank you for joining us today. And that moving video reminds us of the sacrifice of those who've gone before us to lay down their lives for the freedoms that we do not take for granted. I want to ask you to join me as we dedicate this service to the Lord and, and, and ask him to remind us of his provision and his goodness. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and those images that we just saw are so, so moving to me because they, they can attempt to, to capture the sacrifice that's represented by so many families of individuals that have sacrificed for our freedoms. And, and today, um, on this, this weekend that has historically been a holiday weekend where we celebrate, I pray that there would still be celebrations today, but also the ability for us to remember those who've gone before us. And I want to celebrate today as well, not just those who've done so in a, in a form of, of fighting for us and fighting for our country, but even in this study through the book of Acts that we've been going through, that we, we fall into a long line of people who've chosen to make tremendous sacrifices for their faith in honor of you, to bring you glory and honor. And I just pray right now for our church family as they're, we're separated, we long to be together, we miss the privilege of being in the same room. Lord, we look forward to that day and we ask that you would allow that day to come soon. And in the, the midst of this time in our country where we're still seeking your face every day as a church family, Lord, would you be honored? Would you be honored in this gathering together that we're doing today? Would you be honored as we study your word together today? And I, I, I confess as we approach this passage of scripture, this is a really, really heavy passage of scripture. Part of the reason why it's so heavy is that, that it, it reminds me of how gracious you have chosen to be for your people. How gracious you've chosen to be that, that this was an event that happened historically that, that struck fear in the body of Christ. And, and yet after that, Lord, that they were able to keep moving forward with joy, even in the midst of the crisis. And I know that, that as we study your word together, I just pray that even though this is a heavy passage, one of, of judgment, that, that we see in the midst of this, the reminder of grace. And I pray that we would leave here, wherever this place is for each of us, in a, in a way reaffirmed in our understanding that you are slow to anger, abounding in love. And I, I thank you today, Lord, that you're good, that your love endures forever. And that, that even this last week, we have things in our church families, babies born that we celebrate, successful surgeries we're grateful for. Uh, Lord, we, we want to thank you for, for positive news. And I pray that, that you would allow our cups to overflow with gratitude for your provision, even when we don't exactly know what that provision is going to look like. So we thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the technology and those who helped to make this technology possible for us to be able to be in each other's spaces today and to worship you together. And I pray that you would receive this as a form of worship to you that brings you glory and honor. We love you in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. It might sound a little weird, but I can still remember, like yesterday, my first eBay purchase. 
And I don't know if you can remember yours, but it was a long time ago. And, and I remember I was kind of an aspiring woodworker and I found this clamp, but it looked, little, looked a little bit like this. And, and I found this clamp and it had a picture of somebody building, I think it was a birdhouse. It was beautiful and uh, decided I bid, won the thing. I was so excited. And then a week or so later, I got the box and I remember when I noticed the box that it, it looked a little smaller than I would have expected. And, and what I ended up getting in the mail that day was this. And, and, and it shocked me. It had all the right dimensions, right? It, but, but the details were a little different, right? And, and I went back to the description. And even though I, I still have no idea what kind of birdhouse you could build with this, they had a picture of it building a birdhouse. But but in the description, it actually had the dimensions written in there. I just didn't notice the details. And this morning, as we study God's word together, we're going to see a time period in history that, that's going to remind us something about our God. That the God of the universe, the one who created everything around us, that, that he understands the value of details. In fact, they have an immense value to him. We know that these things that, that pastors like me say all the time, like the Lord knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. You, you think of those words as King David penned them and you think that he, he really knows those details. Yes, he knows those details. And and I don't know who, who sold this to me those years ago. I don't really know if it was a conspiracy to get me to spend a little more money on something so small than I should have. But what's for sure is that I didn't pay attention to the details and I ended up spending more on something than I probably would have if I understood what I was about to get. There's something inherently inside of us that whether it's a religious thing, whether it's just a, a vain thing in our own lives, but there's something inherent inside of us. I'll, I'll put my hand up first as the person who struggles with this, maybe more than anybody who's hearing this but me, is that I aspire to have people to think higher of me sometimes than probably what I deserve. I I, when, I, when I see somebody from a distance and, and even in a moment when they're being affirmed or lifted up, there's a, there's a little part of me that, that longs for that. We, we know that this is a characteristic that's built inside of us. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. We're going to catch the last few verses in the book of Acts. And, and for context, what we're going to see is, again, in the early church, there was this great movement of God that was happening. There was a celebration of what God was doing on the move. And as we move from Acts chapter 4 into Acts chapter 5, what we're going to see, and it's going to take you back a little while, but at one point in this series, we talked about the ways that the deceiver built in opposition to his church. And in, in the early opposition method, you remember we did, a, we did a description of the kind of a whiteboard thing, and we said, like, what would be the ways that he would attack the church? And, and the initial exterior opposition was one way that he chose to, to try to hold up the church, to, to silence its message. But here today, what we're going to study is one of the most devastating ways that Satan attempts to slow the momentum of the church. And it's actually by religious people aspiring to make themselves look a little bit better than what they actually were. 
And the way that Peter's going to describe this, he's going to say that they literally attempted to lie to the Holy Spirit. And, and he's shocked by it. He's, he's grieved by it. But what moves me as we study this together is that, is that we're going to remember that Peter himself went through his own version of that at another time in life when he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and for every person who hears this, there's going to be a level of this when we say, you know, we have this temptation, this natural tendency inside of every one of us to do the very thing that this young couple did, or this couple did, Ananias and Sapphira, that they chose to try to make themselves appear better than what they actually were. And the consequences of it were devastating in your life. I want to, in their life, I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles, turn on your Bibles to, to catch up in the end of the book of Acts chapter four, just, just want you to skim through Acts chapter four and just be reminded of the great things that were happening. They, there was this time period of growth and generosity and joy. And, and really the, the first point this morning kind of flows out of this. And that's the church started off going really, really well. That there was momentum. This movement of God was beautiful. And the Lord was adding daily to the number of those who are being saved. Opposition did not discourage them. In fact, it seemed to strengthen them. It did not keep them from the growth, but instead it drew them and knit them together. The church was filled with good people doing really good things. And this was a time period of unprecedented sacrificial giving. We catch at the end, uh, if you, you notice in the end of verse 34, that, that there's this, this story, we, we talked about it right at the end of last week's message, but I want to pick back up there at the beginning of verse, chapter 4, verse 34, that, that we, we hear about Barnabas, this Levite man who was a son of encouragement, a, a generous man, but, but I want you to catch the gesture that he did, that he'd, he'd sacrificially sold a, a large piece of land or a piece of land, he lays the, the, the resources that were gathered from that sale at, at the apostles' feet. In other words, he, he says, I'm just going to give this to you as a gift to the Lord to use to bless other people. Pick it up in verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them. They brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as had any had, as each had, as any had need. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him. He bought the money. He laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife and Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now that, that term, as we move into chapter five, verse one, that, that but really marks a distinction. So, so with Barnabas, we have this great example of a man who did something really lavish, generous. Uh, it was probably significant enough that people were talking about it, that, that, that Barnabas was noticed for what he had done. And I don't think it was a vain gesture. I actually think it was a very sincere gesture what Barnabas had done, that he, he was willing to give God his first fruits and he gave sacrificially. But, but there were people who were on the outside that were watching it and, and were given their names, Sapphira, Aramaic, in Aramaic, that means beautiful, and Ananias in Hebrew, it means God is gracious. They're, they're a part of this new church family. They're, they're a part of this community and they see this from a distance and they, 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 they grow tempted 
by the affirmation that Barnabas is receiving. It's funny for, for Allie and I, we, uh, when our girls, we like to go to dog parks and we have a little beagle. And if you um, have ever been around a beagle or you have a, a dog that's like a beagle, a hound, they're all nose. They, they can get so distracted. And um, the, there's a large dog park in Medina that we love to take our dog to. And especially when he was younger, we'd get there, we'd get behind the fence, we'd take off the, co- the, the leash and then he'd just take off and he's smelling everything. He's off in the woods. And there's this moment where you're like, how are we going to get our dog back? You know? And, and I learned a trick with my little guy that worked perfectly. The way that I could get him to come back to us is that I could just pet another dog. And if I, if I got down and, and pet another dog, said it was, you know, even talked to it, like Snoopy come running from, from distance because he, he wanted that affirmation. Now, I'll really confess to you that sometimes when my, walk, my wife walks into the door and she talks about how handsome my little dog is and how much she, she loves him, I, I get a little jealous too. I'm just, just saying. But, but you know that that attribute is something that's not just left for these small trite things, but this is an attribute that's a part of each one of us, the temptation to want to be appreciated. And it's a natural one. It's a completely natural one. But what happened with Ananias and Sapphira is that we're told in scripture that they did something that was good, but they did it in the wrong way. And when there's a good thing, the second point this morning, when we do good things, but in the wrong way, it can have tragic consequences. And and there really was a tragedy that took place in the heart of the early church. And it ought to serve as a warning for each one of us. In verse um, chapter five, verse one, it says this, but a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. It sounds familiar, right? It's exactly what Barnabas had done. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself, some of the proceeds. So they're kind of co-conspirators in this. They both knew what was going on. They sold the property and with the proceeds, and he brought only part of it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now it's, it's really important before we go on here that, that you can misinterpret this and understand this to say that God expected them to give everything and and so God was being unfair to them because they, he expected more out of, no, I actually think what happened here was that it wasn't about the proportion that they were giving is that they wanted to be perceived as being more generous than they actually were. So, so they, they sold this property, they gathered the money. It's actually really not about the money at this point. It's about them saying, we're going to act like we've given God our best because we want people to notice us. We want people to be aware of what we, we want to receive what Barnabas received for his generosity, but they co-conspired as a couple to keep for themselves um, a part of the resources. So verse two, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and he brought only a part of it. He laid it at the apostles feet in verse three. It says this, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain yours or your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, this is not about what he was giving. It was how he was giving it. He's doing a good thing. He was doing something that was generous, but he wanted to appear more generous And then it says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man. You've lied to God. 
When Ananias heard these words, he fell down, he breathed his last and great fear came, up, um, came upon all who heard it. The young men rose, they wrapped him up, carried him out, and they buried him there. We're told that historically this immediate burial was a common practice based on the climate of those time periods and the, the culture there. So, so here there's this immediate judgment that happens. And it's hard to read. This was, this was a devastating event in the history of the church. That, that this idea that they could get away with, with exaggerating just a little bit, to, to hide from, from God. That, I, wanna, I want you to think about it in a different way. Did you notice the language in the text? It, it talks about how did Satan do this? And then it talks about contriving this deed in their heart. We're told in scripture that we're not st- supposed to allow any space for the deceiver to make room in our lives. And it's helpful for us to understand that temptation is something that's common to all of us. I, we, I think we all have to be honest that we're tempted in a lot of different ways. So there was a moment in history when Ananias or Sapphira, we don't know which one it was, but that one of them were looking at, they were looking at the funds that they'd sold this property and they said, wouldn't it just be great for us to just keep some of that for ourselves. And, and so they were just tempted for it. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get away with acting like we put it all out there? But so somebody verbalized it or somehow they went through this, this thing, but they were, they were tempted. But then what they chose to do, instead of just going, nah, we don't need to do that. Let's, let's give it all. Let's be generous. Instead, what they chose to do was they chose to feed that temptation. We have a great fireplace at our house. I love it. And it's a wood burning fireplace. And, and what I know for sure is you don't just take a big log and a match and stick it right on a big log and expect for it to, to catch fire. No, what, what you have to do is you have to use kindling and you have to go from a small piece of a small flame to smaller sticks to, to build up to where it can handle a big log. And, and I, I want that image to stick in your mind when it comes to temptation what, what this language, the way that it's worded here very specifically, or it's saying, it's like, how did you make room for, for Satan in your life to do this? How did you, did Satan fill your heart? And, and I think really that it's similar to this language of us not giving him any topography in our lives, that they, they made a little space for him. But instead of just blowing that flame out and saying, nah, then what they chose to do is they chose to feed it. And then they chose to co-collaborate together to, to feed this and to a point where it ultimately led to their destruction. Ananias and Sapphira were tempted to seek notoriety for their generosity without making the same sacrifice that Barnabas had done. This failure was not a mere miscalculation in their checkbooks. This wasn't an accidental thing, but this is premeditated deception. And that temptation to believe that God wasn't going to notice it, it means that it, it means that they did not understand the authority of God in their life. We can just get away with this. He won't notice. Does he really know our heart? Does he really know our minds? Yes, he does. I like the way that Kent Hughes put it pretty bluntly. He says this, this was pious pretense, religious sham, simulated holiness, Christian fraud. Uh, the way that Matthew Henry, the commentator, puts it. He says, those that boast of good works they never did 
or promise good works that they never do or make the good works that they do more or better than they really are come under the same guilt of Ananias's life. In other words, like we, we talk big, we, we want to appear more spiritual, more holy, more generous than what we are. You know, I guess that they could probably have given half of what they, they did and just said so. Just, just been honest. Like, hey, this is a portion of the sale of this land and it would have probably been fine. But what they chose to do was that they implied that they had given it all. For us to make this, this sermon applicable in our life, we have to be willing to be honest with ourselves that, that we have the tendency or at least the temptation to do that in our lives, whether it's in religious settings like church or whether it's in, in other settings that we, we really assume that the, the authority of God's, God's wisdom runs short when it comes to matters of our heart or our minds or what happens in our private places of our lives. And for us to be reminded today that he knows us, that he is aware of what's happening and pretending and exaggerating are sins against God. They can have very real consequences for us. God at this time in history was choosing to weed out those that were hindering the growth of the early church, even while they were choosing to help fund it. And it's, it's important for us to know as a church, we aspire to be a movement that God's using to bring glory and honor to, to himself through Brunswick, Ohio. And I believe more than ever that God's doing that and he's going to continue to do that. But, but it's going to require us to be people who are sincere. It is so encouraging to me that the man who's involved in all of this, Peter, went through his own version of this, that, that he had his own failure. He chose to, to sincerely communicate to God, confess to God his failure, and then repent. And so when Peter talks about this from the language of how could you do this, Peter isn't doing this as a hypocrite. He's actually saying, don't you understand not only the judgment of God, but the forgiveness of God. But here, what we see is an example of Satan moving from his attack on the external of the early church to now in an internal attack. What we the story doesn't get any better. I'm sorry. It gets worse, actually. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, Ananias' wife, Sapphira, came in, not knowing what had happened. Who knows where she was at? Three hours later. Husband's already been buried. And Peter says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much, whatever that number was. Some, some have accused Peter of entrapment here. Is he trying to catch her? Actually, I really read this carefully and I think he's saying actually a statement of grace. Like Ananias missed this. Sapphira, do you get this? Like what, what really happened? And instead she chooses to follow in the footsteps of her husband, her co-conspirator. And she chooses to do this. She said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. I want you to catch this. This is so important. We, we use phrases in the church like brother's keeper, or I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, but, but part of our job is to, when we're tempted to not drag other people into our temptation, but instead to actually be the person who helps to squelch those temptations. If you want to know who a real friend is to you, it's not somebody who feeds your desire to do more uh, things that are going to destroy you. But in fact, it's the people who love you enough who are willing to say, nah, that's not, not who we are. Here, 
what happened was that they, they agreed together the way Peter put it in verse nine. How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of our Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet. She breathed her last. This is devastating. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out. They buried her beside her husband. And it's kind of the understatement of this section. And great fear or reverence came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I can't say this enough. I, I believe this. I, some of you know I've spent, spent years of my life investing in marriages and trying to help couples through, through chaos of marriage. And, and what I have seen time and time again, whether it's with kids, families, whatever it is, sin always separates in this context, it's separated to the point of death. We know, we know biblically that there are sins that are like this. First John 5, 16, 17 speaks of sin that leads to death. And ultimately, this was one of those. We know the story of Joshua This, um, or in the book of Joshua, Achan in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, that Achan did, it's the same language. I think it was important that they drew connection to Achan's sin, that he kept back for himself. He he, he withheld. This was, this was his little private stash. That was his secret in his tent. And here they kept back for themselves what really had been offered to God. They, they chose to look at this from a carnal perspective, a fleshly perspective. This is ours. We're going to keep it for ourselves. And they persisted in their sin to the point of death. They didn't protect each other, one another from it. Saw it in the text with his wife's knowledge. How have you agreed together? But this kind of immediate crushing judgment, praise the Lord, is not the norm. It wasn't the norm in the early church. It's not the norm today. And I thank the Lord for it. I, I don't say that tritely. I, I, I was sharing with, with my wife today as we were preparing for this time. Like, I, I'm so thankful that the Lord doesn't treat me with the same way because of my propensity to fall into some of these patterns that are temptations, I believe, for every one of us. This wasn't the natural pattern. I like the way that um, the, the famous Dr. Barnhouse puts it. He said, on the basis of this text that we just read, that he would never let his congregation sing the third stanza of a hymn at Calvary. The lyrics of it go this way. It says, now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. You see, he said, if God acted in the same way today that he did in the fifth chapter of Acts, you'd have to have a morgue in the basement of every church and a mortician on the pastoral staff. I, I, like how one commentator extended that. He said, you, and you probably wouldn't have a pastoral staff. We thank the Lord that he doesn't treat us all the way that he treated Ananias and Sapphira. But it is essential for us because that judgment of God has not proven to be immediate for all of us, like it was for these two, that it's essential that we don't ignore the awe and response that the early church had. Did you catch the words? Did you catch what it said? It said that, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. It's so essential for us to remember. They, were, they revered the Lord. They understood that God cares about details, that details matter. And they also understood that God has a, a lifeline into our hearts. He knows us perfectly. And they, 
They were in awe of it. We praise the Lord that he doesn't act this same way historically all of the time, but it still contains a blunt warning that I believe Ananias and Sapphira, if they had a chance to tell us today, like they would warn us like, Hey, be careful, be sensitive, be cautious, pay attention to the details. Uh, Maybe another way to put it is repent while you can. It's a, it's a simple statement, but it's essential. One of the things that I love to say, and forgive me because I say it in this pulpit all the time, and that is when it comes to eternity, that you and I have a lifetime to determine what we're going to do with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The story of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins. We only have a lifetime to determine how we're going to respond to that message But the problem is we don't know how long that lifetime is going to be. For Ananias and Sapphira, it was one that was cut very short instantly through what we see as the judgment of God. For you and I, I don't know what tomorrow looks like for you, but I want to challenge you not to presume to tomorrow, to not assume that we have the privilege of being able to make this decision another day and another time. I want to flash forward in our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. I want to encourage you to pick up in 18. This is, this is a, a little bit of a precursor of where we're headed. But as I wrestled with this passage of scripture, there was something really encouraging for me in Acts chapter 8 that I, I think helps us to understand how we ought to respond when we come in the context of accepting that we've screwed up. You might remember this story. It's a powerful one. In Acts chapter 8, verse 18, it's there's a man in the church who was around the church who was known as a sorcerer, probably an entertainer. And he was somebody who had seen the work of God and he saw the potential of it being something valuable for himself, not too different than Ananias and Sapphira. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also and anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's kind of a businessman, right? He's going like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. And then um, verse 20, Peter said to him, your money, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Verse 22, he says, repent therefore of this wickedness and pray God to God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and he said, pray to the Lord for me that, that none of the things which you've spoken may come upon me. The, the reason why I wanted us to see this is that, that Peter was a man who was blessed by God's grace and that didn't experience immediate judgment. I, I can speak my own, of my own life. I thank the Lord for a lack of immediate judgment in my life at times. But here, what Simon did, he did, I think, a model for each one of us that's it's really quite beautiful. And that is, he totally got it wrong, right? He's going, how can I buy this? How can I sell it? What, what does it mean for me to market the power of the Holy Spirit? And, and when Peter hears that, he, 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 he almost overreacts. What, what, wait, wait. But, but do you know that Peter had in the back of his mind, Ananias and Sapphira, I'm telling you this day in history in Acts chapter five was a terrible day in the history of the church. But Peter in the back of his mind, he remembers that. And he says, oh no, 
And and remember when it comes to repentance, we keep talking about it, but repentance is, is turning from, but it's also really changing your mind. It's, it, it begins also with a step of acknowledging to God, confessing to God what, what you've been doing. And so here, what we see is that, is that Simon, ironically, is telling Simon Peter, Peter, who had been forgiven by the Lord, is telling Simon the sorcerer, repent. It's time. Don't wait for tomorrow. Take this really seriously. And I want to encourage you in this way. I want to remind you when it comes to repentance that, that it begins with confession and it's something that can lead us to being able to be used by God like Peter's going to be used. That He wasn't a perfect man. He hadn't, he hadn't had um, a perfect history. In fact, he had one that was quite embarrassing for the early church. But yet he was a man that God chose to use because of God's grace and because he chose to repent And in so doing, he was a utensil that God was going to allow to bring himself glory and honor. This leads us to the final truth that applies to us in a very special way today. I believe that the church can thrive even through great tragedy. What we saw in the early church is that they had gone through this experience. It would have been devastating. It would have been overwhelming. These these people knew this family. They loved this family, I'm assuming. They were a part of the community. And then this, this, this horrific event that had happened with Ananias and Sapphira, it said in the text that it sent shockwaves through the early church. But then it's very interesting to me that Luke, as the author of Acts, then, then goes ahead and tells in the next verses this, this story of, of just how vibrant, how thriving the church was at this time. That the church is, is actually doing uh, beautifully, even through this, this really heavy tragedy. In verse 12, it says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So, so now signs and wonders are, are almost routine. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. I think this is just a statement. I don't think they're afraid of them. I think it's just, they just honor them. They they see that God's actually at work in the lives of these people. And, and remember earlier, they had noted that they were just common men. And now God's using common men like them to do miraculous and amazing things. Verse 13, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets. They laid them on cots and mats and that as Peter came, do you see this in the text? This is shocking to me. So it's Peter. It's, it's this man, this imperfect vessel, a man who had to repent earlier. Now it's that same man. He came by and at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Reminds us of what, what Jesus was like with Jesus. Remember, people were touching the corner of his cloak to be healed. And so now Peter is truly a disciple of Christ. And People are gathering from towns around Jerusalem. They're bringing the sick, those who are afflicted with unclean spirits. And it just ends in this way. And they were all healed. So here the church is is on the move. It's growing. It's, It's vibrant. God's working through these broken people. And part of it required individuals who just chose to let the masks fall aside and chose to repent and then be used in a miraculous way by the Lord. I 
want to ask you to, to consider by way of application, a few questions that have helped me as I've wrestled with this. So when I, when I say I'm thankful that God doesn't function this way today, I don't assume that he's not going to. I take sin really seriously. And I, and I want to remind you for this, when, it, when you look at your own life, and maybe this is looking at your family, maybe this is your own life experience, but when I said the statement earlier that sin always separates, whether that's that it leads to death in this case, or whether it's just relational separation, like, like where have you seen that play out in your life? And, and what ways have you seen it? And, and what are the consequences of sin that you've observed? And I think it's helpful for us to just be willing to be honest. Like sin is destructive. The, the second question is what is it about us that wants people to think higher of us that is really accurate? What, what was it about them that wanted to appear more holy than they were, more generous, more sacrificial? And, and if you can identify where that comes from, and this has been important for me in my life to identify where that part of me comes from. And then, to be committed to putting that to death in our life, to, to be willing to let people see our weakness. Even last week when we talked about this, of letting people into our needs, there were nobody needy in the church because they let people into their needs. Some of that means that we move beyond the facade of having it all together. And, and I, I moved beyond that a long time ago in my life, accepting that I need to depend on other people. I need to allow people in. And some of that, when we talk about repentance, means that we're actually truly agreeing with the Lord. We're confessing to him what he already knows about our lives. The, the last thing, Peter put it pretty bluntly when he warned Simon the sorcerer. Did you, did you catch it when I read those verses in verse 22 of chapter 8? That he, said, he said this, he said, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. In other words, there was a temptation for you to misunderstand what it means to, to understand the character of God. God is not someone who's manipulated by us. He's, he's God. And, and the temptation for you needs to be squelched today. And, and so for you, the question is, what's God asking you today to turn away from? Are there areas in your life that you're particularly tempted to forget that God remembers the details and that there's, there's no need for us to wait for this. The, the gift that we've had over these last few weeks, uh, some have called it a, that we've been given a gift of time because of some of the natural distractions that surround us. I, I want to pray for you that you don't assume that you're going to have that time tomorrow. Today's a good day to do this. And, and I'll just remind you that um, that, that the way for us to be people who think that we can deceive, that that way falls way short. But when we understand that the God of the universe cares about the details and that he can work through the details, even in our humility to bring himself glory and honor, I think when you choose to accept that, you just might see that your life can be radically changed. I'm going to ask you to join me in a, in a reflection prayer. And, and I'm going to ask you to just begin with me in this way. Lord, I just want to lay at your feet those parts of me that wants to, to believe that I can get away with deceiving you. I want to just lay those at your feet today. On this, on this day in history, I just want to accept the fact that, that I know 
that you are not being fooled by those decisions that I've made. And, and I want to join in with the pattern of the Apostle Peter as a man who was imperfect. In fact, he was embarrassed by his, his um, inability to, to honor the very thing that he promised the Lord Jesus Christ to his face that he was going to do. That even in his denial, that there was restoration. And I, I just want to thank you for restoration. I think of the, uh, the, the, the friend of mine from, from, from a previous church that wrote me today and just, she shared about how she'd finally experienced victory over an addiction that, that had, had crept into her life and that she had seen wreak havoc on her family and that, that she finally has seen the, the reality of understanding what it means to depend on you. Would you do that all across our church family? Would you, would you do that in, in individuals' lives that, that have chosen to, to catch the, the same momentum that the sorcerer Stephen did when he repented immediately, that he understood maybe this wasn't the right idea, and instead that he chose to submit to your leadership in his life? Would we do that as a church? And I just pray, Lord, that as we um, remember this weekend, uh, those who've gone before us, I want to thank you that as tragic as this story is of the death of these two individuals in the history of the church, would it be a memorial to us of what it looks like when we allow Satan to, to have his way in our hearts, when we give him space, when we give him freedom. But instead, Lord, as believers in Christ, Lord, I thank you for the victory that we have when we can allow ourselves to say, no, that is not who I am. And that we can entrust ourselves into the King of Kings, the care of the King of Kings, and the care of the Lord of Lords. And I pray that as we, we sing this closing song, that you would be lifted up and glorified as we sing a, a, a song of, of both humble response and repentance to bring you the kind of glory and honor that you deserve. We love you. Thank you for the technology that makes this possible. Lord, would you allow us to have a day soon that we can gather together um, and, and bring praise to your name. Uh, Lord, we love you when we miss that privilege, but we thank you for this privilege today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.